Welcome to Leading the Next Generation with Tim Elmore. I am your co-host, Andrew McPeak, and our mission here at Growing Leaders is to empower the emerging generation with skills to lead in real life. And Tim, today, this is going to be a good one. It is. You know, Andrew, it's so fun for us at Growing Leaders when we come across somebody that's in the same space we are. They're working with educators or youth leaders, and they see the importance of EQ yep. and life skills apart from just reading, writing, arithmetic. We think both are important. Yes. But um, we recently met a guy that is really uh, and helping people understanding social emotional learning. And uh, we both loved meeting with him and thought we should introduce him to the listeners of our podcast. Absolutely. Well, our, our, our introduction to this guy was actually a book that he wrote that is just phenomenal. We'll be talking about it a couple of times throughout this, but it was called The EQ Intervention. Several of us here at Growing Leaders read it, and we just thought, this is our guy. Uh, for all the reasons that you just said, but one of the things I love about him is he sees emotional intelligence, social emotional learning so far beyond the typical boxes and categories yeah. that we like yeah. to put it in. And so I just think this is going to be a really rich conversation. Well, just as a way of introduction, I actually want to talk about who Dr. Sines is. Dr. Adam Sines is actually, uh, he earned a PhD in school psychology from Texas A&M University as a United States Department of Education doctoral fellow. He completed his uh, pre-doctoral clinical training under a fellowship appointment to Harvard Medical School. And he has a postdoctorate in clinical psychology from the Alpert Medical School of Brown University. Dr. Sines also earned a, a doctorate of ministry and pastoral counseling from Graduate Theological Foundation with residency at Christ Church College of Oxford University. Um, Dr. Sines is the author of the best-selling book, The Power of a Teacher, and his most recent book, The EQ Intervention that I just talked about, uh, the subtitle on that is Shaping a Self-Aware Generation Through Social and Emotional Learning. The EQ Intervention, which was released in 2020, was the winner of the Independent Publishers Gold Medal Award in psychology. Dr. Sines is also the founder and CEO of the Applied EQ Group. He and his wife, Kim, have been married for 25 years, and they have four kids, uh, Alyssa, Maya, Isaiah, and Andrew, which I have to say is a really excellent name. Of course you do. Yeah, so we are so excited to have you with us, Dr. Sines. Thanks so much. It's great to be with you. So, Dr. Sines, this is Tim. I uh, have been given the honor of tossing some questions to you, but I'm really intrigued, if you don't mind, I'd like you to um, tell us just a little bit about your journey from your angle, from your point of view. Andrew just read your, your credentials, but um, I'm really intrigued with how you've been involved with education, with psychology, with, with pastoral work. What a, what a varied background, but how well it prepared you, I think, for what you're doing today. Absolutely. It, it did prepare me. And, um, you know, there's this this um, sort of joke in, in the field of mental health that we enter the field really just to work out our own path. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, and to whatever degree that's true, it's certainly true of me. You know, I grew up in a single parent home, low income, and, um, you know, I was getting into a lot of trouble. Wow. And looking back, you know, I, I lived uh, with, with my biological mother until I was about 12, and I lived in substitute care from 12 to 18 in two different cities and um, as a student who was struggling and you know using drugs and running from the police um, it was sort of a tale of two cities you know one one education system was really about uh, what i call stick and carrot behavioral psychology mm -hmm. like yeah punish you and reward you and that just didn't work for me 
Uh, the other uh, school district uh, that I, I lived in uh, with substitute care was uh, it was very relational. You know, yeah. they, they weren't so much hung up on sticks and carrots and punishments and rewards. They were really wanting to connect with me. And it was that relational piece that made the difference. You know, and I often say that we are rarely sticked or carroted into the best version of ourselves. Right. Typically, right. we're relationshiped into the best version of ourselves. Yeah. So that was foundational for me. Once I made it through high school and eventually, you know, kind of backed my way into college, and, um, started studying and figuring out who and what I wanted to be when I grew up. The relational impact that was made on me favorably by those teachers really made me want to study psychology, it made me want to work in schools. And then of course, along the way, my own spiritual journey, um, finding truth via um, spirituality yeah. Was, was a huge part of my development. So that led me to earn my doctorate in, in ministry and pastoral yeah. counseling. So my favorite world is when psychology and spirituality intersect. That's great. That's exciting. Well, so when I'm hearing you talking, I'm thinking we think so much alike here at Growing Leaders mm -hmm. and what you're doing. We believe relationships trump everything. And if yeah. we get the relationship right, boy, when you have to perhaps confront or give hard feedback, it always is smooth. It's never easy, but it's always smoother when there's a relationship there. And of yeah. course, it's nearly impossible when an educator doesn't have a relationship. Uh, we're always lobbying when we do our work with schools for teachers to continue to love the students. There's just nothing that replaces that. And isn't that timeless? It's crazy how it's, oh yeah, we're getting back to the, to the very beginning. Absolutely. So um, what you just said uh, reminds me of something you said in your book. Uh, much of the time when people speak about SEL, social-emotional learning, they're thinking about a curriculum, um, a class or a course that students need to go through. Uh, one of the things we've loved about your book is that you spend just as much time discussing how teachers can be emotionally intelligent as you do talking about the, the emotionally intelligent students, meaning it's a person starting with you, teacher. Um, yes. Why do you believe it's so important for teachers to lead the way in EQ? Well, um, thanks for asking that. It's a great question. And, and for me, it, it really is, there's a theoretical route and then there's a practical route. The mm -hmm. theoretical route for me, as I think about Albert Bender, the social psychologist that sort of coined the phrase social referencing. And, and essentially what he was saying is that when kids have questions about the nature of the world around them, adults are sort of their living Wikipedia. Yeah. That, that's where kids go is they look at adults and, you know, it's through what he calls social referencing. Um, and so we as adults are modeling for kids whether they should be afraid, whether they should be courageous, um, you know, whether they should like something or not like it. So that, that's the sort of theoretical foundation. It's just this idea that adults are um, a living intervention for kids. Yeah. Then, yeah. then in my practice, you know, um, many years ago when I did a lot of work with, with uh, children, what I realized fairly quickly is that it didn't do me much good to spend 50 minutes in a session with a child once a week if they were going back into a family system in which the adults were fatigued, overwhelmed, stressed out, and burdened. So what I started doing was thinking more systemically, meaning I started doing a lot more parent training because I realized that um, the most important part of a child's adult is that environment. It, it, yeah. The environment is the parent, back to social referencing. So when, when, when we have a healthy parent, uh, in the home every child benefits from that so i took that systems thinking into schools and really began to shift from 
working child by child by child to, to working with the adults and empowering them with a model for emotional intelligence and self-awareness and self-regulation. Yeah. Knowing that number, you know, I always say that a teacher can't teach trigonometry unless they know trigonometry. And by extension, a teacher can't teach social and emotional learning unless they're living it and practicing yeah. themselves. Yeah. So I think that's it. I think it's, you know, there's this theoretical idea that adults, again, are always going to be a living intervention for every child in every environment, everywhere, always. And uh, number one, and then number two, um, in practice, when when um, adults are living good, healthy, emotionally intelligent lives, every student benefits, every child yeah. benefits. Yeah. So yeah, that's kind of it. In theory and practice, they kind of drove into that. That's good. Well said. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking about teachers in my K-12 experience. Um, I talk often about Mrs. Mayo, who was a fourth grade and fifth grade teacher that I had who gave a clinic in emotional intelligence without even teaching a course. I mean, there was mm-hmm. nothing formal, but boy, mm-hmm. did I learn courtesy awesome. and listening. Yeah, it was, I want to I want to find her and write her a letter. Um, I don't even know if she's still around, but that's what really what you're talking about. Mrs. Mayo lived out this, this thing without even teaching a formal curriculum. Yeah, so... So, Adam, one of the hindrances you bring up in the, the book that I thought was brilliant was, um, I, I should say, one of the hindrances to emotional intelligence was the whole issue of stress. When we're yes. stressed out, we don't become the best version of ourselves, nor do we find it easy to practice these competencies. Yes. Can you talk about the relationship between stress and a lack of EQ in teachers? And then what are some strategies that they can use to grow that? Yeah, well, let, let me talk about stress um, and, and EQ and a guy that I know who happens to be married to my wife of 25 years. <laughs> you know, people think that if, if you have a PhD in psychology, surely, surely, yeah, yeah. you know, you can get over it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I'll tell you, man, on any given day, when, when the right stars or the wrong stars align, I can act a fool with the best of them, you know. So what that means is that when we get stressed out and overwhelmed, um, it doesn't matter how much head knowledge we right, have, we're right. not be able to access it. So this idea of stress management as emotional intelligence, essentially it's, it's about being mindful. Uh, you know, what's overwhelming? What am I afraid of, yeah. basically? And, you know, the, as we experience stress, another way to say that is that we experience fear. Yeah. And yeah. again, when we get into fear, that puts us into fight or flight. And when we're in fight or flight, our body immediately starts producing uh, stress hormones, adrenaline and cortisol. Yes, yeah. It, which is a gift. It's an energy gift. Right. Because, you know, our animal, the brain is saying there's a dragon out there. You need to yeah. fight it and run from it. So when we get stressed out and we're not aware of the stress, number one, and number two, we're not aware of the energy that our body is producing. Mm-hmm. It, it could lead us to make silly decisions. Yeah. So uh, the idea that we can understand our stress and that we can engage in what I call adaptive fight or flight strategies, life-giving fight or flight strategies. That's really the, the, the best case scenario is when I get stressed out and I get overwhelmed. I have all this energy, but I'm thinking, ah, there's that energy. Yep. Am I going to use that energy to be a life giver or a life sucker? Yeah. Uh, so I think that's kind of the relationship in my mind between stress management and emotional intelligence. Yeah, that's good. Would mm-hmm. you give any maybe practical strategies to combat stress? I mean, what are some best practices maybe that educators you know that do it well? What do they do? Yeah. Well, for sure. You know, and back to the the, the framework of fight or flight. Yep. I think we can fight in ways that are ways that are actually life giving, and we can flee in ways that are life giving. So, fight strategies. Number one, I'm stressed out and overwhelmed. The first thing I want to do is deconnect it. 
you know, we, we, we talk about relationships early on in our conversation, um, but in my mind, that, that's where you get the bang for the buck is being connected. And even for a guy like I'm fairly intensely introverted, but I know I need people. So the first thing I want to do with that adrenaline, that cortisol is reach out and be connected. Um, another thing is I want to think ahead. I want to anticipate and plan um, what, what um, you know, what well, yeah, I, I, I am prone to overthink it. You know, I, I even structure my day like, what do I need to do in the first five minutes of my day to have a successful morning at home? What do I need to do at my home in the morning to have a successful launch into my work day? How do I need to set up my morning to have a successful afternoon? Yeah. How do I set up Monday to have a good week? How do I set up the week to have a good month? You know, I mean, you can think it down to whatever re- level of resolution. But anticipating is another good strategy. Mm. Third one is flush the energy out of every day, which is to say work out, have exercise, have some way to get all of the adrenaline and all the cortisol and all the caffeine out of your body so that you can sleep at night. So those are just, a, you know, three examples of fight strategies. If I do those things, it's a win-win. I get stronger and the dragon gets weaker. Um, I can also disengage in ways that are life-giving. Um, so I pull back and reflect. You know, I practice introspection and say, this thing that's stressing me out, that's scaring me, why am I so scared of it? How did this tap my own fear, my own insecurity, you know, my own weaknesses, my own blind spot? It's what... Carl Jung referred to as facing the shadow. Yeah, yeah. So I, I withdraw into myself and just practice introspection and say, what do I need? How is this a growth opportunity for me? And um, then another, so that's one example of a flight strategy that's actually life-giving. And another yeah. example of a flight strategy is keeping perspective. You know, I think about, and I call that the time test, you know, like a month from now, this thing that's freaking me out, how big a deal will it really be? A year from now, how big a deal? You talk about a global pandemic. Now, that's something we're freaking out about because it'll be a big deal for many, many, many months to come. But the guy that cut me off in traffic, and I've got this narrative going on now about what an idiot he is. Like, you know, it's just like, Adam, get over it. You know, in an hour, you're not even going to remember that that guy cut you off, but you're freaking out about it, you know? So that's called keeping perspective, which I, in my dark moments, don't do. So again, <laughs> just just a handful of strategies, you know, yeah. think, thinking fight or flight in ways that actually make me stronger and make the dragon weaker. That's so so good and and so so practical. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm also glad that you also might fall into the trap of thinking somebody might be an idiot on the road. I remember, <laughs> totally. I, I remember hearing a, a story about a little kid that says, "Mommy, how come all the idiots come out when Dad's driving?" You know. <laughs> 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 so they, they tend to, don't they? Um, so, Adam, I'm sorry. I want to press in a little bit even further on something you yeah. just said. You talked about getting connected. And, mm-hmm. and I love how you said you get connected is a strategy and getting disconnected is a strategy. Would yes. you double-click on that idea? What? Um, how do you recommend teachers maybe do that? They've got their colleagues. They've got the teacher's lounge maybe in a high school. Mm-hmm. Any, any mm-hmm. thoughts that just might be for a listener right now to say, try this? What would yeah. you say? Well, you know, for sure. So you think about being connected. Well, what does that mean? Like, does that mean I need to be married? What if I'm single? Yeah. You know, does that mean I need to be connected to my parents? Or what if they're deceased? Yeah. You know? um, well, I think so. My undergraduate degree is actually in English. And, and one of my favorite writers back in the day um, was, um, uh, uh, I'm blanking on his name, but he wrote a lot about what's called the hero's journey. He was mm-hmm. at Sarah Lawrence College in, in New York. Yeah, um, Campbell. And 
yeah. uh, Campbell, Joseph Campbell, yeah. thank you. Mm-hmm. And um, so he gave us this this terminology of the hero's journey. Yeah. And then he also noticed as he studied stories that there are archetypes that populate all of our stories. Yeah. Basically, you know, if you look at like Star Wars or Lord of the yep. Rings or Harry Potter, it's the same story, uh, the, the same character archetypes. And that's what, so when I think about being connected, that's the language that is meaningful to me. Like, which archetypes do I need to be connected to? And they're, you know, you, depending on where you look, you can find up to 12 of them, maybe 16. But there are four character types that are meaningful to me. Number one is the hero. So I think about like, or um, I'm sorry, the, the sage. Yeah. So I think about from Star Wars, that would be like your, who's your Yoda? Yeah. Who's the yeah. person that's going to coach you and guide you? You know, yeah. and I've had, I've had sages to help me learn to be a father, to be a husband, to be a business owner, to be a psychologist. I've yeah. always found a Yoda that can guide me in all the domains of my life. Yeah. So that's number one, find a sage, find a Yoda. Number two, find a hero. And that's sort of your Luke Skywalker mm-hmm. or your, your Ray Skywalker. Like who's going to, and the hero, we think of heroes like Superman, the person that's going to come in and save your day. But really a true hero doesn't save your day singularly. A, hero, a true hero saves your days plural mm. by showing you the greatness inside of you and mm. demanding that you rise to the occasion so they save every day in your future because they say you're there's greatness in you and you can save your own day yeah that's what a good hero does he calls the greatness out of you um and so that, that's your your hero the third one is a caregiver the caregiver is the, the nurturer like who's going to love you and nurture you and, and basically you know charge your battery you know? yeah. they're empathetic and they're kind um, so back to Star Wars, you know, I think of Qui-Gon, I'm um, seeing a young Anakin, this kid's got potential, let me take him under my wing, you know. Yeah. And then the fourth one that we need is uh, your everyman. Um, and that's, again, back to Star Wars, um, that's your Chewbacca, just yeah. your sidekick, you know, they're just yeah. along for the ride. So when I think about being connected, those are the four archetypes that I want in my life. I, I always want to have a save who will guide me. I always want to have a hero who will demand excellence from me. I always want to have a caregiver who will love me and nurture me. And then I always want to have a sidekick, just somebody that's along for the ride, just to be my buddy. I love it. Um, in fact, mm-hmm. I love the hero's journey, and I think you so applied it well and in such mm-hmm. a practical way for, for an educator. So mm-hmm. let's... Awesome. Yeah, yeah, it is. So mm-hmm. let's talk about how teachers can practically build emotional intelligence in their interactions with students in the classroom. So let's say I'm a teacher. I've got maybe five periods in my day that I've got to be in front of 25 to 30 students. It's Mm -hmm. emotionally exhaustive, you know, or exhausting uh, by the end of the day. But you and I both know we've got got to do it well. So Mm -hmm. one of the things you discuss in your book are four ways that we often react to emotion in our students. Can you talk about these four methods and then walk us through how to respond well when students show unexpected emotions, okay? Yeah, I'd be happy to. You know, the the thing about uh, emotion is that it's a distractor. You know, we're trying to learn, we're trying to teach, we're trying to get things done. Emotion can get in the way. Yeah. And so if I'm teaching and I'm trying to get through my lesson and I see students that an emotion starts to bubble up, whatever it is, whether it's anger or boredom or excitement, whatever it might be, there's a temptation, number one, um, to just ignore it and act like it's not there um the problem with ignoring emotion is that we can never teach emotional literacy as long as we're ignoring emotion yeah. it would be sort of like thinking you know i want to teach children to read but let me ignore the letters it just yeah. doesn't work that way yeah. you know yeah. you never get there so one one option is just to ignore it and act like it's not there and that never you yeah. know it, it doesn't result in emotional literacy the next one is to inhibit emotion 
And that's to say, look, I see that you're mad, but just cut it off because I don't want yeah. your anger. Anymore. Yeah. <laughs> that's, you know, yeah. uh, not helpful. Uh, again, imagine trying to teach literacy. If we inhibited letters, it would never work. Yeah. Next one, uh, you know, so we can ignore it. We can inhibit it. We can also invalidate emotion. And that's like saying you're, you're angry. Well, you shouldn't be angry. You should be happy that you have a great teacher like me that loves you so much. Yeah. <laughs> and that, you know. Yeah. The thing about emotions is that they're not right or wrong. They yeah. just are. And yeah. it's not our place to assign emotions to anyone. So when we ignore emotion, when we inhibit emotion, and when we invalidate it, we, we, we basically preclude any process of developing emotional literacy. The scary step, the next option, is to actually invite emotion. Yeah. And, and let the kids know, like, hey, man, whatever you think or whatever you feel is okay. You can feel angry. You can feel sad. You can feel confused. You can feel frustrated. You can feel bored. It's all, it's all good. You know, we invite you to bring your emotion to the table. That's scary because it's like inviting, you know, people to bring all kinds of fuel sources yeah, to the table. Yeah. Because that's what emotion is. It's yeah. essentially fuel. Yeah. But I think like an engineer, you know, I can use gasoline to power a truck. Yep. I can use electricity to power a computer. And when we, um, when we invite emotion, then we can get to the true meaningful step, and that's instructing emotion. Yeah, that's good. Mm -hmm. I love that. That is so well said. Um, mm -hmm. I really, that's, in fact, that's, that's memorable. Um, I'm, <laughs> so thanks for, thanks for sharing that. That's so, yeah. so rich. Absolutely. Um, okay, so one final question. This is the yeah. big $64,000 question. Okay. Um, you give a really excellent breakdown of how to channel students emo student emotion. Can mm -hmm. you walk us through your three-step process that you talk about in the book and give us an example of maybe how to do it well? I think that would be helpful to our listeners. Absolutely. So back to the approaches to emotion, if you ignore it, you inhibit it or validate it, yeah. you're basically losing the opportunity to, to invite and then instruct it. So yeah. the, the question I hear you're asking, so how do you instruct it? Yeah, right, right. Three simple process, a three-step process, pretty simple. Number one, identify the feeling, you know, and ask a student, how do you feel right now? And a lot of times they'll say, I don't know. And either they're blowing you off or they really don't know. Well, then you could say, well, you look angry to me because your face is all squished up and your hands are in a fist, yeah. you know, and um, yeah. you're breathing heavy. And just that stuff alone is excellent because you're modeling empathy at that point. So number one, identify the feeling. Looks like you're angry. Looks like you're sad. Yeah. So the second step then is after we've identified a feeling, we can link it with a behavior. So, for example, you may say, listen, Adam, it's okay to be angry. Um, I get angry all the time when I'm in traffic, but it's not okay to hit people. It's not okay to damage property. It's not okay to hurt others. So um, you've linked it with the behavior. Then you offer a substitute and you say, Adam, listen, next time you get angry, perfectly okay to get angry. But instead of hitting, maybe you could take five deep breaths. Maybe you could open up your journal and draw me a picture about how mad you Maybe you can go to YouTube and, and find a music video that sounds the way that you feel. And now you're giving you're giving the, the student a, a menu of options. Um, and that way they're they're understanding, oh, this emotion that I feel, I can actually link it with behaviors that make my life better uh, and, and help me become uh, more functioning. So again, back to the idea of ignoring emotion or inhibiting or invalidating. As long as we're, we're approaching emotion that way, we'll never teach kids to, to actually manage emotion and, and instruct emotion um and to quote the great fred rogers you know um, <laughs> all emotions are mentionable and all emotions are manageable yes and that's yes. our goal that, that that's how we increase emotional literacy instead of it. repressing emotion and responding just to behaviors we go to a deeper level and give kids permission to feel and give them uh, adaptive strategies to manage those feelings yeah 
That's so rich. You know what I love about what you're saying is at Growing Leaders, we often uh, will teach SEL with what we call a leadership bias. If you can manage your emotions like this, you'll naturally have influence with others because you are leading yourself so well. So um, I love the prescription you have given us today on how to better do that, both as a student and as a teacher. Dr. Sines, this has been great. This is exactly what the doctor ordered. Thank you for, thanks for being with us. It was a delight. Thanks so much for the invitation. What an incredible conversation, Tim. Uh, Dr. Sines, thank you so much for the insights that you all share with us. If you're like me and you want more, I want to tell you how to get it. Uh, Dr. Sines, as I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, uh, actually created uh, an organization called the Applied EQ Group, and you can find out more about that organization at appliedeqgroup.com. I invite you to check that out. If you want to pick out pick up this book, which we definitely recommend, recommend called The EQ Intervention, uh, you can buy it on Amazon or wherever you get your books. It's pretty easy to find. It's a really great read. I think it will help you kind of dig in deeper on some of the things that Dr. Sines shared with us. Well, as always, if you would rate this podcast, give us five stars uh, anywhere you get your podcast. That gets the word out about what we are doing. Uh, If you thought this was helpful, please pass it along to a friend. Share it with somebody who you think may benefit from it. Uh, If you want to connect with us online on social media, we are at Growing Leaders and at Tim Elmore, pretty much everywhere you are. And then finally, if you have ideas for this podcast, other people you want us to interview, topics we should cover, shoot us an email. It's podcast at growingleaders.com. We love getting those. We want to thank you again, once again, to Dr. Signs so much for your insights on this podcast today. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next time.